0: daughter was named no mercy or no compassion, no love, unloved. The third one was named not my people. So he comes in and he says, I have three things. There's no faithfulness, there's uh, or steadfast love or knowledge of God, and there's bloodshed following bloodshed. So you have in this, you have these three names pop up. You have faithfulness, love, and bloodshed, which is Jezreel. So you come in and say, you know, you're not my people. You're unfaithful. You show no mercy. There's no steadfast love. There's no compassion. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. And, and Jezreel was the place where blood would be shed. So he comes in and, and he gives this and, and he says, you, you, um, you, you, do, you don't have an experience with me because you can't remember what you can't, what you can't experience, what you have not experienced, you have no memory of, because God begins here with the charges that he has on the people of the land. He, he never says, you belong to me. He says in verse 1, he says, I have a controversy, not with my people, not with Israel, not with those who have entered into a covenant with me. No, he says, I have, a, I have a controversy with the people in the land. Now think about that a minute. This is a people in the land. I don't have any relationship with you. For instance, all of the people who are on our live stream right now, they they would have been at 9 a.m. Now they're here at 10.30 a.m. because at 9 a.m. there was no internet. And it was not on us. It was on them. Not the people on live stream, but Them. Because they are not of us. They are not our people because they are unfaithful, unloving internet providers. (laughs) And the early service live stream people could not experience that. So they have no remembrance of what's happened. They're getting the second service today and, and that's it. And we apologize for that, but like I say, it's not on us. It's on them. But God refers to these people as the inhabitants of the land. They have no faithfulness, no love and no knowledge of God. So he's going to come and he's going to do three things. He has lots of threes for the remainder of the book. There's three children, there's three charges, there's three people, and, and he will go on and he will come back and he will allude back to these, these children, these three children throughout it. But as, as he comes in, they have no faithfulness, no love, and no knowledge of God. Um, another way of putting it is they lacked integrity. They weren't faithful. They lacked integrity. They claimed to be the people of God, but their lives reflected something totally different. They had no compassion. They had no compassion. They'd become self-centered, and they were taking advantage of the most vulnerable people in the land. They were self-centered. All they cared about was themselves. And they had no knowledge of God. They didn't have a working knowledge of God's Word. It was superficial at best. So they had broken their covenant with God a long time ago and the results were staggering. Jesus put it this way when, when he was talking about a people in relationship with him and, and when he was speaking to, quote, religious people who had no reality in their lives. And in other words, they, they had a shell that was around them. They had an internet connection, but there was no provider. There was nothing happening there. Here's what he said. He said, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In other words, he said, if you don't know me, you can't bear good fruit. If you have no knowledge of me, you can't relate to me. You can't remember me. You can't know me. And if you do, you will have to bear good. Good fruit, because that's just the natural outcome of it. And, and Jesus, when He's speaking here, He's speaking to false prophets and, and to what they produce. Followers of man, not followers of God. They don't look any different from the world around them. And and this is what's happening in Hosea is, uh, Israel. He says they're guilty of. He, he names five five things. He says swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. These are all social ills that you'll find in the Ten Commandments. It's half of the Ten Commandments, and they characterize Israel, and it characterizes their social behavior, the way that they live. They forgot who they were, and the entire land is suffering for it. So the results come in in verse 3. It says, bloodshed follows bloodshed. He says, ultimately, it's going to be a bloodbath in Israel. And he alludes back to Jezreel that we talked about three or four weeks ago. So as we come in in Luke 6, 45... Here's what Jesus said. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil evil treasures of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So he's saying, as we come in and, and we look... At at covenant, and we look at at pursuing God and and what that means, and and that we have entered into a covenant with God, then um, our covenant with God is based on faith in Christ. And it will not only bring us to a place of remembering how deep the Father's love is for us and how great it is, it will also impact the lives around us and it will influence people around us so coming in is understanding that remembrance brings a change in who we are and it it reminds us that we are a covenant people with God that we have entered into a relationship with him and then the second thing is remembrance means that I have an intimate knowledge of the workings of the covenant I have an intimate knowledge of the workings of the covenant. So as we come in, in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. So as he comes in, his charge, he, he begins in verse four, he says, let, let no one contend, let no, none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. So he's talking to the priests first. The first group of people are the religious leaders. Um, in, in today's world, it, that'd be me, and it'd be Greg. Um, it, it, it would be the people who are leading in, in the church, or leading the people of God. And he says, I have a contention with you, and my contention is, is <clears throat> that you have rejected knowledge you 've rejected the Word of God, and in other words you 're teaching something different from the covenant that God has placed so remembrance is strengthened as we grow in the knowledge of what it means to be god 's covenant people if if we want to strengthen the memories of of what God has done in our lives, strengthen this base and this foundation as when we come and we participate in in the the lord's supper which that is such a strange little thing um but uh i'm really grateful that that we have those but but if we want to do that we have to understand who we are and and we have to understand what's going on there so the priests failed to lead the people in the things of god and, and the more the people prosper material the funny part is it was like this this unending cycle the more the nation prospered the more priests come they had more and more and more of them because there was more and more ability to support these people and they led them further and further and further away from god so they moved further and further and further from the word of god they were very spiritual in regards to their religious practices yeah, you know, I mean, if you come in, we we have um, even today we have religious practices. You 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 know you have to understand that. I mean, we we just had uh, an observance of what we call the Lord's Supper, and that that could be called a religious practice. It could be something with great meaning, or it could be something that was just something you do. It depends on our heart, and it depends on the relationship that we have with. God. Um, but they were very spiritual in regard to those practices, but those practices had nothing to do with God. It was just all about them. It was just, it was just something that they did. They worshiped the gods of many cultures around them. They, they weren't a people who were locked in to serving God and God alone. They, they were a culture that drew in everything around them and, and amalgamated it together into this thing that that they had this practice, a little bit of that practice, a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion. And they just blended it all together into this thing that they thought, hey, we kind of like this. It works good for us. And and they uh, <clears throat> they chased after the gods of the land. They said, hey, the Baals, you know, we... we uh, we're an agrarian society, having crops that produce. I think we'll pray to that God. That's the God of production. We'll pray to that God. Yeah, we'll cover our bases there. And so they did all of these different things. And, and so the priests had rejected the word of God, and they weren't standing firm there and calling the people away from idolatry. Instead, they were encouraging them in it, and therefore they're rejected by God. The bottom line is that they were biblically illiterate in proverbs 1 through 33 it says because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster so you know, you're probably expecting here that I'm going to insert, you really need to be reading your Bible. You really need to be studying it. You really need to be taking this stuff in. And, and I'm not. Because it's not that kind of a knowledge that he's talking about. That's an important thing. I'm not saying it's not important. But this is a knowledge of intimacy of knowing. This is, this is that I have had a faith Or a life-changing experience with Christ. I have come into a life-changing experience with Jesus. I have entered into covenant with Him. I have recognized that I am sinful to the core. I have recognized that without Him, I'm apart from God and without hope and, and without life. That I cannot fix my sin problem. No matter how hard I try to make myself good, I just can't get good enough. And I've understood that and recognized that. And I've turned to Christ trusted that he died for me while I was a sinner that he rose from the grave and that he promises life to me so I have come into that relationship with him and it's that kind of a knowledge that that from that point on I become his and he dwells in me and I am in him and and he knows me and I am being drawn to him so it's that kind of a knowledge and then when we come from there and we spend time in the Word of God, that gives us intimate knowledge of the way that God responds to His people and how He works in our lives. So when we come to Christ, then we can come into His Word, and His Word will indeed bless us. It will guide us. It will help us to understand who we are and who he is. It will satisfy us. It will meet our deepest needs. It will constantly remind us of who we are in Christ and what he has done for us. But it's not about reading the Bible or taking more study courses. It's about intimacy with the Heavenly Father himself. It's about a knowledge of God. It's not that Israel was unaware of the things of God they knew the things of God they knew the ten commandments they knew the law they knew about Moses they knew about Abraham they knew the stories they knew all of this stuff they had the details they had the facts the problem is is that those were just part of many things that they knew that they were intimate with just a part of it you see knowledge of god begins with a, with an experience it begins with an experience with him it's a love for him that drives us to live for him jesus put it this way he said if you love me you will obey my commandments jesus didn't say if you obey my commandments you'll be driven to love me he said no you'll obey my commandments because you do love me and, and that's the posture he calls us to he calls us to this place of first responding to him and as we respond to him then it's this drive inside of me that says you know what I want to know more about him I want to understand him more I want to understand a God who would redeem me like he sent a prophet named Hosea to redeem a prostitute named Gomer and then after she left him After he married her, he went and bought her back. I want want to know a God that would love like that. I want to know a God who would go to that extent for me. I want to have an understanding of that. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4, Hosea said, They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, new wine, which take away the understanding. <clears throat> God spoke to the people and he said, "Look, you're going to eat, but your belly's going to be empty." and And he's not talking about just the food on their plates. He's saying the experiences the things that you're chasing after, the places you're looking for satisfaction, the the places where you're investing for security. He said all of those things you're going to keep going and going and going, but you're not going to be satisfied. You, You shall chase after other gods. You'll whore after other gods, but you won't multiply. You won't increase. Nothing's going to happen here. Because you've forsaken me. I'm the one who gives you the increase. And he and just says, um, <clears throat> all of these things just take away your understanding. The more you suck in all the stuff around you, the more you seek the things outside of me, the more, the more and more and more you try to pile in. He said, those things will dull you to the things that will really bring satisfaction. You see, the little gods that we set up in our lives and worship ultimately don't satisfy they just don't satisfy and and this is what was happening in ancient Israel the more prosperous they became the more ignorant they became of the word of God the more ignorant they became of the things of God the more ignorant they became of the God who redeemed them and and it's because they're driven by a desire It's it's because they're not driven by desire for God or fulfillment in Him. They were driven by something else. You see, if, if we come in and, and we look at it and we talk about this in, in the perspective, what God is looking for in our hearts is this response of gratitude towards Him. It's it's not something that, that we come in and and we're saying, Oh, I've got to, you know, I've got to do this, 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 and this to please God. Instead, it's more of, I am drawn to him. I want to know him more. I want to grow in my faith. I want to understand him. Or maybe another way of looking at it would be, if you can think back to a time when you were single, or maybe you are single, Um, and and you come in, and and you look at that, and I dial back the clock 30-plus years. When I wanted to get to know Trish, I went over to the wall, and I picked up a thing called a telephone off of it, and I dialed her, and I talked to her. And, And I would talk to her on the phone. And I'll be honest with you, I don't really like talking on the phone, but I like talking to her. And I would talk. And and I suppose if, if you're a young person today and, and you're in that, you might go on to the Internet and look at whatever it is that you do there. But um, but with my experience with the Internet today, I would go back to a phone. I would just tell you, you can't trust that thing. But but you just find out about that person. And, and however it works, however that happened, you know, for generations before they had a telephone or whatever it was, That's the way men and women got to know each other. They wanted to know more. I want to know more. I'm interested. I want to know more. I'm drawn to this person. I want to know more. And this is, in in a strange way, it's very similar with God. It's because we are drawn to Him. He is doing something that is drawing us to him and we want to know more and when we enter into a relationship with him through Christ it's it's not I read my bible because I have to it's because I read the word of god because I desire to know this god who has given so much for me I am drawn to a god who would love me when I despised him I am drawn to a god who has everything needs nothing from me. Yet he says, I want to allow you to know me. I'm drawn to that. And this is what it is coming down to. So if you go, I was reading yesterday morning in my Bible reading, and it was Exodus. And it's right after they've crossed in, you know, they've, they've, they've gone from the Egyptians and they're they're you know they've been set free and and they're they're not wandering in the wilderness yet right now they think they're on their way to the promised land this is before things have gone south and so as as they come in and they're here Moses comes down with the plans for the tabernacle and God te- you know God says hey just tell the people whoever wants to give can give give whatever they want you don't have to your choice So the guy who's building it all, he comes back to Moses a little while later, and and what he says, he says, look, I have more stuff than I need. Tell him not to bring anything else. There's too much. That's kind of not normal, is it? And then I I just glanced down to this morning. I thought, you know, how much shekels? How many shekels? What exactly is a shekel? There's 2,000 pounds of gold. I mean, look, you, you buy gold by the ounce. And I'm, I'm almost willing to bet nobody has enough cash in their billfold here to buy an ounce of gold this morning. If you do, I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> Not because they're bad people, but, but I mean, that's a, that's a lot of coin to be carrying around, you know? And, and there are 12 troy ounces in a pound and 2,000 pounds in a ton. So that's 24,000 ounces of gold. That's a lot of gold. And the silver, oh my gosh. I mean, you could pave KB's road with it. It was like nothing. And, And this is what they gave. Why? Why did they do it? Why? It's not because they had to. It's not because it was expected. It's because they were driven to. They desired it. They wanted to. They gave out of love, not out of obligation. They gave because it was a free will, because they wanted more knowledge of God. They wanted to know him more. They desired to follow him. So it comes in, and so remembrance means I've entered into a covenant with God. I have intimate knowledge of the workings of the covenant with God. In other words, I am driven to know him more. I, I want to know him. And then the final thing is that I seek... I seek fulfillment in the covenant. I seek fulfillment in this covenant. Remembrance comes from finding fulfillment in Jesus. Gilgal, he comes up and he says here in uh, verse 15, he says, enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives, Um, Gilgal, He's saying, don't remember this anymore. And and this is is big because Gilgal is huge. This is a huge place in the Bible. Gilgal is where Joshua camps and sets up his command post to take out Jericho. Gilgal is where they they go in from. Gilgal isn't isn't some just little bitty place. I mean, if you you talk about Gilgal to them, it'd be like us saying Normandy or D-Day a big deal. I mean, it's something people remembered and, and they knew. It, it was where the men were circumcised in preparation for the first Passover. It was on Saul's circuit as he traveled and it was where David was welcomed back as king after he fought the battle with Absalom. It, it's, it's a huge thing. Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon is even bigger because Beth-Avon is what we know as Bethel or Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. Bethaven means the house of nothingness. And that's what it had become. It had gone from the house of God to the house of nothing or the house of destruction. You see, in Bethel, It was even more significant because that's where Abraham camped. That's where Jacob had his vision of the stairway going up to heaven. It was where God later revealed himself to Jacob as the God of Bethel. So Gilgal, Gilgal had gone from a place of pilgrimage to a place of apostasy, and Bethel had gone from the house of God to the place of nothingness or destruction. You see, there are no longer places to go. And in other words, God is saying, look, the things that, that had meaning in your life, you can't even do them anymore because they have been so perverted and destroyed that, that these things are things that you can't even touch. It's like someone who has has an alcohol addiction, who has dried out, they can't ever go back. They can never get away from that, that that, that it is something they will never take again because it has that thing to destroy them immediately you see these are no longer places to go but places to avoid because they've been so perverted things that were once good and had spiritual meaning have been so corrupted by the people by idolatry that they were to be avoided and we can take things that are good and we can turn them into something evil and, and to be forever avoided. It, it could be any number of things in our lives. But once we take that and turn something that is good, that God has given us for good, into an idol. He says, you can't go back to it in Hosea 4, 17 through 19. It says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. And the rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. It's It says that that um, they have joined these idols and when they have drunk their fill of the idol and, and and it is gone then they give themselves off to even more despicable things and and they love shame and it says the wind has wrapped them in its wings When he's saying the wind has wrapped them in its wings, he's saying they're just being blown away and scattered, and they'll be ashamed because of that. You see, prosperity in the things of this world, they can't satisfy us. It's not that they're bad. Or, or they're just morally neutral. It's, it's. But when we turn them into things that that are for our satisfaction, then once the thrill is over, we look for another thrill and another thrill and another thrill, and we can never be satisfied in those things because they all leave us empty in desiring something greater, and that something greater is Jesus, who can meet all of our needs. In in Hosea five four, it says, "Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the." Lord. So as they come and, and do all of this, they are drawn away from God. So how do we come and, and pull away from that? Because you go, man, that's just, this, is, this is a big downer. Well, this is the charge that God's got against his people. So why? How did they get there? What's the purpose of it? And what's the draw? Um, the easy thing would be to come in and go, look, we need to read our Bible more. We need to study more. We need to pray more. We need to do more, 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 more. But that's not it. Those things have to be driven out of love and a desire. Those things come from from within, from understanding that God has shown His love to me in this, and that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And and so it's a response of love. It's a response of desire. It's a response of, I know Him some, and I want to know Him more. I'm going to go get the phone off the wall and dial it up and, and figure out what else I can learn and know because I love him and i want to know more and and so in psalm 34 8 it says oh taste and see that the lord is good blesses the man who takes refuge in him oh fear the lord you his saints for those who fear him have no Lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And in other words, the psalmist said, Look, if, if you'll just delight yourself in God, if you'll just search after Him, if you'll just desire Him and, and taste and see that He is good and find satisfaction there, you, you're not going to have to go and chase and look for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, the next thrill and, and the next person to come in to pat you on the back or the next experience in life. that that affirms you or whatever it is he said no if you'll just come to the Lord you'll find out that you can find satisfaction right there right there and he says because those who seek God they, they lack nothing they lack nothing and as we come in our lifestyles reflect our hearts and our hearts are who we are your lifestyle is a reflection of what's in your heart and what's in your heart is who you are. And, and this is what God is saying to the people in Hosea. It's what he says to us. He says, whenever we seek deliverance or satisfaction outside of God, he says, you're going to end up losing. You're going to find out that, that the thrill is there for a while. But afterwards, you're still going to be empty. And you're going to need something else. And you're going to need something else. and You're going to need something else. And, and there will always be another thing. In Hosea 5, 13 through 15, it says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria. Ephraim is Israel. Judah is, is um, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. So it says Ephraim went to Assyria and, and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal, heal your wound. The Assyrians couldn't fix it for you. They couldn't deliver you. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. He's going to destroy Ephraim, and Judah is going to be destroyed in 587 BC. They're going to be carried off into exile. Um, And and so he says, I'll carry them off, and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. So he says, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting until they earnestly come after me. And then, then I will respond. So if we want to come and, and look and come in all of it, and, and there's, there's a lot in chapters four and five. And unfortunately, I'm not smart enough to take 11 chapters of Hosea that repeats itself a whole lot and do it week after week after week without you thinking, is he ever going to get off of this? But But, there are some big themes in here, and these are big themes and and this big theme is <clears throat> is understanding who we are in christ and and remembering that and understanding who we are as his covenant people and psalm twenty five verses one through twenty two put it this way. They say to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you... I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of his troubles you see that's that's where we find him it's when we have this great desire and and this is what as as we come in in chapters four and five in hosea this is the problem that the people had they they had no true hunger and desire for god and and the takeaway is if we want to remember if we want to remember and come in as as we celebrate communion together celebrate what jesus has done for us if we're going to remember it we have to have an experience And that experience drives us to desire. And that desire brings us fulfillment because that desire is is found in Christ Jesus. That that fulfillment is found in Him. And that's where it begins. And all of it comes in and not go home and do these five things, but instead just understand. Understand who you are in Christ. And as you understand the depth of His love and the depths to which He has gone for us, it drives us to find satisfaction in Him. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning once again praising You for the love that You have for us, that, that, that Your love is something that's secure. It can't be taken away. Father, we don't have to earn it. We don't perform for it. We don't buy it. But instead, we receive it freely from You. And in turn, it drives us to desire you more, to want you more. And in that process, you build us up, you strengthen us. You draw us closer to you, and you give us a greater understanding of who you are. Father, help us to have that desire. Help us, Father, to be the people that you've called us to be. To be the covenant people that you created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as, as we come to a close, I, I want to challenge you to think, you know, where do you stand today with Jesus? What, what is the reality of Christ in you? Have you made that first step towards Him? Have you stepped towards Him to acknowledge Him as, as King in your life, asking Him to give you um, forgiveness of, of all sin and, and to take control of your life? Have you moved into that relationship? Have you begun to follow Him? If, if you know Christ, are you seeking after Him? Are you remembering what He has done for you? Are you desiring to know and grow in your faith? Because these are things that, that come in and, and drive us and move us because it's very much from a response to Him that moves us to where He has created us to be. Would you stand as Greg leads us?